Jesus Revealed, Part 3. Quick chance to catch you up. If you've missed the first two sermons, they're available on our website. You can go back and listen, but you get the Cliff's Notes here. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and so we started in Mark Chapter 1, where Jesus is teaching with authority. And what is being revealed about Jesus. Mark's whole point is to reveal who Jesus is. That's why he wrote the gospel. And he starts off, so is Jesus the Christ? Is Jesus worth following? And so he writes his gospel to reveal that to us. And so he starts in the beginning here, right after Jesus is baptized and tempted and calls disciples. We're still in the chapter, first chapter. And he begins teaching, and they say he teaches with authority. Unlike others, he doesn't just teach like he knows his subject, like a professor, but he teaches as one with authority. And then we also looked at his compassion for a leper when nobody else had compassion for the leper. But he reached out and touched him. We saw his compassion and his indignation that others weren't compassionate like he was. And then last week, we looked there were the four men Jesus is healing people but the four men who bring their friend who's a paralytic to be healed by Jesus and Jesus says he forgives his sins and the challenge comes who who are you that you think who do you think you are in a sense that you can forgive sins only God can forgive sins and Jesus looks at them and says yes and just so you understand I can also tell him to get up take his mat and go home and he gets up and takes his mat and goes home and so we saw his ability to heal but move beyond that, that Jesus had the authority as well, not just in his teaching style, but that he had the authority of God with him to forgive sins. And then he called the tax collector Levi, as Mark calls him. The other gospels call him Matthew. So Levi, Matthew, whatever name you want to use, but Jesus reaches out and calls specifically to be one of those that's going to become one of the 12, a tax collector. And we talked about this special edition sinner that tax collectors were. And that Jesus not only calls Matthew, but then goes to his home and eats with Matthew, the tax collector, and his tax collecting sinning friends. And he looked and said, Jesus, why do you do that? And Jesus says, because I've come for everybody. So we see the indiscriminate love of God is not just for the righteous, but for everyone. Which brings us to today, and Jesus begins to teach in parables, which is fun. It's a different teaching style. Other, other rabbis and other teachers taught with parables, but it's one that we get enough of that we think Jesus may have used more than most. It was a way that he taught, but it's a beautiful way to teach. If you don't understand something, let me give you an analogy to help you wrap your tiny minds around it. And it's a way of disclosing information about God. When I was young, we had somebody came and, and spoke to our Fellowship of Christian Athletes group. And I can't remember his name, but I remember what he said. And he talked about parables as being like a cross. That the parables... When you come to it in your Bible and study, think of it as a cross. There is something in this vertical part of a cross of the, of the beam that is being revealed about God. Jesus uses parables to reveal something about God or about the nature of God, about the very character and heart of God. Then, when that is revealed to us, that affects how we live 
Now you think horizontally in the world. So our vertical connection with heaven and earth and God being revealed and our connection in the world. So this is what he uses parables for. So here's an example to try and open up the parable that Jesus is about to tell you. I'm going to tell you a parable. The kingdom of God is like a man and a woman who decided to get half married. They would be married when it was convenient to each other. They would be married as long as they were in the same zip code. They would be married when they got along. The end. Jesus doesn't go on to explain most of his parables. He will, as we heard in, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 4, explain the parable of the sower. And sometimes he teaches parables in conjunction because he's not quite sure you're getting the analogy. So let me try again. The kingdom of God is like a good friend, a great friend, a friend who would do anything for anyone, be there for you whenever you need it, even at 2 a.m. kind of friend, who was friends with a person when it was convenient, an all-committed friend was friends with a person with a half-committed friend. You're going to understand because you know what it is to be a good friend. You know what it is to have the half a friend. The friend who would play with you all summer long in the neighborhood, think back middle school, early high school, and then you go to school and they barely acknowledge your existence. How are we best friends in the summer at the swimming pool and now we're not? How are we seemingly good friends, but I call you when you don't answer and you don't return messages and you don't return phone calls except in a time of need? And then you call me. Surely we're the good friends in this, in this scenario, right? Put yourself in that analogy. Put yourself in that parable. And it's a lot easier to identify as the good friend. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's those folks that we reach out to when we need them. And some of those, that's their role. It's not that we're close, they're best friends. They're just people that God puts in our lives for help and support when we need it. And so I don't want to knock that part of it. But you know what I mean when I say that half a marriage half a friendship, a partial marriage or a partial friendship. It just leaves you with that, uh, something is not quite right. So when Jesus starts his parables in Mark, this is beautiful. He's teaching by the lake again. I got to think this is one of the best parts of being Jesus, getting to teach by the lake. He's teaching by the lake again and he begins to teach them in parables and he starts with these words as a rabbi he says listen and he's going to go on to remind us a couple times several times in the gospel of mark if you have ears listen and pay attention but when he starts his speech here in the gospel of mark and teaching and says listen we have to remember he's speaking to a jewish audience and when he says the words, listen, now we covered this this fall. 
Jewish Orthodox folks still get up in the morning and pray the Shema. It's a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it says, listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being or soul, and all your strength. Jesus is going to repeat that when they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? This is where it comes from. But when he says here, when he begins to teach and says, listen, this time especially about the kingdom of heaven, about our relationship with God, which is what this parable is going to dive into. It's a reminder that God is all in, in this relationship with us and with you in this commitment. And where are you? And you're supposed to go, I love God with all that I am. I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength. But Jesus also tells and teaches and parables, tells parables and uses them as a teaching tool to get us to evaluate on a much deeper level something that we would have been close to. No, I'm a good Christian. I love God. God loves me. We are good, right? We're done. He's disclosing, which is the opposite of close. He is trying to open our minds with the parables. And what he does is he says, so God's love is like, God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the path, on the rocky ground, amidst the thorns, and on good soil. My dad grew up in Iowa, not far from farm country and around farm country and in and amongst the farmers of the Midwest. I don't know one farmer from the Midwest that would show up here and sow seed in our parking lot. You're going to till those fields and make the soil fertile, and that's the only place you are putting seed because that is practical. That is pragmatic. That is being a good steward of the resources God has entrusted us with. But Jesus says God is not like that. A challenge, right? We want to think God is pragmatic, but God is not. God lavishly loves on such a depth that God will cast seed on the path. God will cast seed on the rocks. God will cast seed amongst the thorns. And God will cast seed on the good field. It's a way of saying the word of God and God's love and grace goes everywhere. You see, he picks up on the theme from calling tax collectors. In case you didn't get it, when Jesus did it in practical and lived it out in real life and healed people, didn't ask, hey, how's your faith life before I heal you? Or are you going to promise you're going to follow me if I heal you? None of those questions. He just indiscriminately heals people who need it. And he loves people that we wouldn't love. And the word of God goes out to all the earth. But I think on a deeper level, too, Jesus is using this parable to challenge us, to challenge you, to challenge me. Because when Jesus says, what kind of soil, when you receive the word of God, what kind of soil are you? It's easy for me to think, I wear this plastic collar up here in front of people and preach every week and teach about God. Surely I am good soil all of the time. My wife was here at the first service and set everybody straight when I tried to pass that off. <laughs> no, no, no. 
But at different times, in different places, if we are honest with ourselves, the Word of God infects and plants and takes root and seeds in us in different ways. And in other parts of our lives, it has yet to reach us and touch us like it should. I'm preaching to the choir, but you guys are the ones that come to worship on a regular basis because you are here. So at least in your worship life, the seed of God in some ways has taken root and flourishes. But what about your relationships? What about in your finances? Different areas of your life. You see, because Jesus looks at us when he tells us this parable and starts with those words, listen, that refer us back to Shema, that God is all in. And we will see Christ on the cross as we move towards Easter, right? We're going to go through Lent. We're going to go through Holy Week. And we will see Christ on the cross. And once again, then understand to the point of death, God is all in. And the only way this relationship flourishes is if we return that all-in kind of attitude to the relationship. See, for God, it's not a partial marriage with us. It's a full. For God, with us, it's not a partial friendship. It's a whole friendship. It's an all-in that God wants to be with you in every part of your life, leading you and guiding you. In our confession that we made earlier, we, we offered that sometimes we have chased other lights like wealth and the accumulation of things. And we do that. How about this, first world people? How many of us live with the mindset, can I pay the bills? Do I have the right things? Do I have enough stuff? Is my car good enough? Will my car get... Holy moly, you realize how first world you are. Take, take a mission trip to Guatemala. Visit other parts of the world. And they find it unbelievable that we in the first world live with a scarcity mindset. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I don't make enough. I might need to work more hours. I might need more job. I might need to change jobs to make more money because I've got to have more of these things. I've got to pay more bills. It's easy for us to begin to live in scarcity. But the love of God contradicts that completely. It dives into our lives, into our finances, into our worship life, into every area of life and says, I provide abundantly. Just look at all of creation. And yet, and I love that Jesus gives us a spectrum here. Right from the path where the seed doesn't go in at all and the birds come and eat it all the way to the good soil. Because I find myself in different parts of my life or just even on different days at different points on that spectrum. I'm guessing I'm not alone. I like to think I'm good soil. I want to be good soil because God's word, God's love deserves the good soil. But here's the beauty. Even when I'm not, God's still casting seed. Still hoping and praying it'll take root in me someday. Take root in you someday in that part of your life that you have not handed over to die with Christ on the cross. This is why Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John about being reborn. Those parts of our lives that we control, that we look at, that we say are ours. And because God gave it to me, it's mine. And when Christ calls us, Christ calls us as followers to come and die, to put to death 
because what happens when the seed's planted in the ground? The seed dies. But when it does, here's the promise of the gospel, that it increases 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And that's not for the soil. That's not for the seed. That production is there to feed the rest of the world. That's what the harvest is for. So my prayer for myself, for us, for you, is that more and more we would have more days of being good soil, more hours and months of being good soil, that all of our lives would be good soil, not just so that we can see increase for ourselves, but that same love that God plants in us is then shared with the world. Amen.